After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives and your children, your livestock, may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they have to t- have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever may command them, will, will put them to death. Only be strong and courageous. And the second reading is from Philemon, reading from verse 4 to 9. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Thank you, John. Hey guys, I wonder if you've ever found yourself, as I have found myself, in an escalating conversation where all of a sudden it dawns on you that you had no idea what the other person actually meant and what they said, and you go, oh, I didn't realise. You know, so maybe this can happen in marriages sometimes. Um, Gee, I'd love it if we could have a day off together. I'm sick of you saying I work too much. Now, that was a rapid escalation. Uh, So, but it can happen. And the brave ones will giggle and nod their heads because we do it from time to time where you think that's what they said. And Okay, thank you for those who are giggling. Um, It's not just Rachel and I. Sometimes these things can happen. So one of the best things, I love doing this whenever we prepare people for marriage, one of the little communication skills we learn is active listening. And active listening, just one small part of it is a thing called playback. Just tell them. So I'm hearing you say, and say back to them what you're hearing them say and check that what they've said and what they've meant are the same thing. Now, I like to do this sometimes when I read the Bible. Sometimes I read a part of Scripture and I get the words and I see the thing and I think, but what does this mean? So one of my first little things I like to do, sometimes I say to myself, well, what can't it mean? And I go from what it can't mean, that narrows me down a fair bit. And I, the other thing I like to do sometimes is write it out in my own words. How would I say this? What do I think they're saying? I'm going to do a little active listening and I'm going to do it with you this morning because I did a lot of study on Philemon and continuous study. And this passage that John has just read for us, I've rewritten this as I understand what Paul is saying, or as I think I understand what Paul is saying. So this is my interpretation. Uh, Call it like the message by Shane uh, as I read to you Philemon verses 4 to 9. This is what I think Paul is saying. Whenever I'm praying for you, Philemon, my prayers are always prayers of thanksgiving. I'll I'll tell you why. It's because I keep hearing about your faith and love. Faith and love in the Lord Jesus and for all of those who love and trust him. So I also pray that the community that centers on faith in Jesus may be instrumental in helping you know and discover every good thing that we have in Christ. Because, brother, that's how community in Christ works. I mean, I'm so happy and encouraged by how you are loving other followers of Jesus. You have modeled love that has refreshed the followers followers of Jesus in a way where they are just loving people from their very core. Because I know this is how you treat others in Christ, I'm not at all concerned to give you a straight instruction to do the right thing. I'm confident we're on the same page. But no, instead, I'm reminding you that even if things get hard, to act with that same basis of love and partnership in mind. I want you to understand I'm asking you personally, me, Paul, but I'm also asking you as the guy who was called to represent Jesus and who remains bound to him. As I read Philemon, these verses... And if I understand this correctly, the thing that I can take away today, and I'd love you to take away today, is that participation is the path to progress. Put that on the screen just in case you're taking notes. Participation is the path to progress. 
Philemon, Paul is going to teach Philemon and us to understand that when we press into this thing we call Christian fellowship, we have this unique opportunity to understand every good thing we have in Christ. The way Paul starts to teach this is with a celebration. He celebrates the partnership that Philemon is in. And I'm going to give you a word. The word I gave you last week is koinonia, and we're going to go back to that. Paul celebrates koinonia. Now, why would I give you this word? Is it just so we can be Greek eggheads together? No, it's not. Sometimes I think it's worth backpedaling a little bit from what is known well to us to something that's a little bit obscure, because sometimes things that are known well to us have their own kind of baggage and concept to it. And I think if we back up just a little bit, we can rebuild our understanding. So that's why I want to play around with this word koinonia with you, which can be translated partnership, fellowship, maybe community. And Paul is celebrating community at this point. He's celebrating koinonia. He gives thanks because of how Philemon takes part in life among other Christians. How Philemon as a Christian or a saint does life with other saints, the holy people, that is those who love and trust Jesus. Now verse 6 is the key to this whole letter. Verse 6 says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now you'll see, I've done a little scratch out there. I pray that your partnership... The with us is a little bit supplied by the translators of the NIV, and it's not wrong at all to do. It's true. However, if you read some other versions as well, they don't uh, emphasize the with us. Allegedly, that might be with Paul and Timothy. Uh, Translations like the English Standard Version seem to suggest that this partnership is the faith that you share. But in the original... And the New American Standard Bible picks this up quite well. It's just left kind of vague. It's just, I pray that the partnership of your faith may be, effect- may be effective. So what does it mean? Well, I think it's good that it's vague because it's meant to be vague because this isn't an either or, this is a both and. What Paul's saying at this point is, Philemon, what I really, want, what I really pray for right now is that you have faith And that faith leads you into relationships with others, whether that's Paul and Timothy as mentors, whether that's peers, whether that's someone that Philemon might be leading. We don't have to choose, nor should we choose. What Paul is saying, my prayer is that as you participate with others in the faith, that this might be the key to you discovering and knowing every good thing we have in Christ. We don't have to choose which direction we're going. This is just be with others in Christ, participate with others in Christ, and this will be the key to moving forward. This is why I say participation is the pathway to progress. This is the key verse, and it's about taking part together in our relationship with Christ so we might discover every good thing. Now, I want to labor this with you and give you weird Greek words and stuff like that because this is different to merely socializing. Socializing is great. It's fun. It's nice. Friendship is fun. Friendship with other Christians is fun. But this is beyond socializing. This is beyond the very common usage of the word community. You know, if you're a housing developer, you develop a new area, you make sure it's got schools there, you make sure it's got parks, and you put in a community center. So all the people can go and be together and commune and do their thing. 
koinonia is different to that. It is stipulating what's in the center of that community. And in the center of that community must be Christ. See, it's very possible, brothers and sisters, to love people without loving God. But it's impossible to love God without loving people. And so the way I'd like you to think about this koinonia idea is kind of like the solar system with the planets orbiting the sun. This is like our koinonia, our fellowship, our partnership, is us as people orbiting our Jesus. Jesus is always at the center. It's his gravity and gravitas that holds us together. It's he that gives the shape to our orbits. It's he that keeps us in alignment. He is the common in our our community. Now, I second-guessed myself a little bit during this week because, you know, you can roll your eyes when preachers get up and start telling you Greek words and stuff like that. I'm like, why is this so important to me? I went walking around the church office and I bumped into the always helpful Peter Lenahan and I was like, Pete, why am I all up in my head about wanting everyone to know about koinonia and fellowship? Because fellowship's not even really a word we use in, in, in this time in our lives. And Pete said to me, when you say fellowship, all I think about is the fellowship of the ring from the Lord of the Rings. And it was profoundly helpful to me. The fellowship of the rings. Uh, If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, there's your homework. But think about it. At a distance, you see this group and you think, oh, they must all be friends together. Then you come in closer and learn their history. Some are hobbits. Some are elves. Some are dwarves, some are humans. There's a human who's a king. There's a human who's not a king. What's bringing this not even the same species of people, people, species of, yeah, they're people, not humans. What is bringing these same species of people together? The fellowship of the ring. There is one purpose that has brought strangers together. And as they work for that purpose, they come to points where they would die for one another. As they work for that purpose, they are bound together in their effort. As they work for that purpose, the differences emerge, emerge and a unity is forged. Do you see the difference? This is where we're going with Koinonia, but we're not talking about a purpose or a ring or an object. We're talking about Jesus who dwells in the center of us. It's about taking our part with Christ and taking our part with Christ together together that we might be bound up with him and therefore bound up with one another. This is the kind of community, fellowship or partnership which goes through Christ first. It is the ring and the mission that brought them together and it is Christ who brings us and holds us teaches us and orbits us together. And so Paul, understanding this very well and observing this in Philemon and his life in his church, his prayer is that Philemon will take part, take his part in this partnership, that he might come to know every good thing we have in Christ Jesus because participation is the path to progress. And so here's what I want to say to you about that. And I've written it on the slide so you won't think you misheard me. Uh, Let's see the next one. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, To discover every good thing we have in Christ, you will need to be bound to his body. 
His body is the church. Now here's the bit that you might have think, are you allowed to say that? I'm going to say it. You won't always like it. It's kind of like the gym. Sort of. I always like it. Afterwards, no one regrets a workout. But it's not always fun during it, right? To discover every good thing we have in Christ, you're going to be need to be bound to his body, the church. You're going to have to participate in koinonia, fellowship that has Christ at the centre. And the truth is you won't always love it, but my goodness, sometimes you will. For in the church you will be, as I have been, I testify, I've been encouraged. Keep going, Shane. I'll never forget an email where some where a parishioner once wrote to me, I pray that you might feel the Lord like his hand is in the small of your back, moving you along for your service as well and man did I need to hear that that day isn't it beautiful when people speak these encouraging words to you we get encouraged we get taught there are things that we get taught through speech there are things we catch from others we get supported we get led we get celebrated we get helped I moved house one time my dad shows up and he's like who are all these people helping you they're there from church so I didn't know you had that many friends. I'm like, I'm not sure I do, but I have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. You get helped, you get prayed for, you get loved. I love the people who over time have painted for me a bigger picture of myself than I realized. I thought I've kind of here, and they're like, you could be here under God. And I go, no, that couldn't have been there. No, no, there's more of you you haven't realized yet. And they encourage me along. They say, wonderful things happen in God's family. We swim together like a, like, like a uh, school of fish pulling each other along or better still like a peloton of cyclists but here's the thing not only are we encouraged sometimes we're challenged as well because the truth is each one of us at some stage will find ourselves on that spectrum between problematic and pathological and sometimes just jerky in the middle all of us have issues and a level of dysfunction the scriptures call that sin and that means that sometimes I'm not as easy to live with as I would like. I'm not as easy to koinonia with as I might want to be. And man, is that for your good. Muscles that you don't use atrophy, they get smaller. Muscles that you put under appropriate resistance, they get stronger and tend to grow. So what would happen for your grace muscle if you never had to love someone beyond their merits or what they deserve? What would happen for your mercy muscle if you never had to withhold something that someone deserves, but you hold it back? The beauty of participating with brothers and sisters in Christ who find themselves on that problematic to pathological spectrum is that we will grow our grace muscles. Ooh, just like Jesus. We'll grow our mercy muscles. Ooh, just like Jesus. We'll grow in humility. we grow in hope because we know that there's more than this. We're hoping for something we have not yet seen. We will grow in patience. Hey, that's a fruit of the Spirit. We'll grow in courage as we have to step into spaces that are awkward. We grow in resilience. We grow in self-control. Another fruit of the Spirit. We grow in cultivating affection for those who we don't necessarily like. But we intentionally cultivate a love and an affection and a closeness for them. We grow in praise. You might just learn to say, God, I could never do that, but wow, you made that guy amazing. We learn to run the race set before us, as the scripture says. 
Sometimes you learn it the hard way to stay in your lane. You know, sometimes you want to race, run the race set before that guy. You might remember Saul and David. David Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. From that moment on, Saul had his eye on David. And nothing good happened for Saul after that. But sometimes when there are many people running their race around you, it teaches you focus to run the race set before you. To do business with God and run the race set before you and to be content with the race he's given you. Discovering every good thing in Christ. We learn generosity. We learn sacrifice. We learn how to say sorry. We learn how to say you're forgiven. We learn forbearance. We learn assertiveness. We learn contending. We learn, hey, these young people speak differently to us. Yes, we learn contextualization. We learn to be incarnate in their space. We learn submission. We learn leadership. We learn wisdom and a million other Christ-like characteristics that you just can't develop on your own. But you need to be close and personal and bound up to the imperfect people of Christ. And praise God for all your imperfections. In your wonderfulness and your imperfections, you're a gift to me and I'm a gift to you. So go home and pray, Lord, thank you that I'm God's gift to this church. And know that's in your good and your bad. In your fantastic and your problematic. But see, here's the big idea. It's participation that is the pathway to progress. It's getting stuck in with one another and being involved where, as Paul prays for Philemon, we discover every good thing that is in Christ. I want to see if I can show you this in a different way. I'm going to welcome back my volunteer from last year. Pete, would you uh, come on down? Um, So you might recall last week we had this little chain game where uh, Pete was Jesus and I was being Paul and we learnt that what Paul's talking about about being a prisoner of Christ Jesus is to be bound to Christ Jesus and so he doesn't go where Jesus doesn't go and where Jesus is going that's where he goes just as Paul was bound to a Roman guard in Rome that was the kind of prison like an ankle collar thing that we have today that's how he's prisoning prisoning? whatever word how it worked as he's bound we're going to take that the next step further because he's not the only one who's bound. So, Pete, would you just take this chain, just sort of here in the middle, and hold this for me here. You get to be Jesus again. And what we're going to do is um, we'll get Haley to help. Haley, come on up. No being silly. Now, Haley, would you take one end of this? Now, here's what Koinonia looks like because this is what Paul says in verse 7. He says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul is celebrating that Philemon is a guy who in his koinonia fellowship doesn't just socialize, doesn't just do community, but continues to point people to Jesus. He says, Philemon, you've got a life where you encourage people to look at Jesus and to orbit around him. And so, Haley, would would you orbit around Pete? And I'm going to orbit around Pete too. Give me a little bit more. Now you can stay there. I wonder if you notice what's happening. Haley, let's look at Jesus together again. Let's make Jesus our center. And do you see what's happening? As we continue to point one another to Jesus and go bound closer to him, we are being bound closer to one another. See, it's possible to love people without loving God, but it's not possible to love God without loving people. And so when we have true koinonia, 
as Philemon seems to be having, and we point one another to Jesus and say, not just people are saying, what's the Lord saying? And we keep looking to Jesus. We orbit around him together, and we are bound closer and closer, and we have happy marriages. Look at these two. We have relationships where we're close together. And my own my, it's going to be hard for me to treat Haley in a way that is sub-Christian when I'm walking right beside, not just her husband, but Jesus. Do you see that? This is Paul's celebration. Would you thank the McFarlane family? Let's unbind you, Pete. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. And so here's what we're talking about. We're talking about participation in Christ together and how it binds us together. Paul in verse 7 is able to say that he celebrates that Philemon is the kind of guy who is refreshing the hearts, the guts, the splug, and the very core of people that they will love others from the very core. This is what he's doing for Christian community. And so Paul can go on in verse 8 and say, Therefore, although in Christ Jesus I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul is saying at this point, he's not saying, Look, I want you to know that I could command you. Now, in our 21st century minds, we think, Really? Can you command? Is that a thing that can happen in Christ's church? Well, of course it is. This is not contingent for Paul. Paul's not saying, I want you to know I could command you. That's not contingent. He can command. In fact, uh, a good place to go, read First Timothy, and uh, in many of the chapters, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, when you get to Ephesus, command this, command that, command this, command that. Commands is part of the toolbox of the Christian leader. That's the Bible. But what Paul is saying at this point is how he feels about commanding. Because sometimes you can give someone an instruction or a command, and <laughs> how's this going to go? Here's how it's going to go for Paul. He is bold, or language that probably helps more. I'm really confident about this. I'm not hesitant. I don't have to be worried about commanding you. I know that you get it. Philemon, I know that you get this stuff. And so Paul says, hey, I feel at ease about commanding you and giving you a directive or an instruction, but there's a better way still. Because Philemon... I'm not just about getting the thing that I want to happen. I'm about growing you. Why am I about growing you? Well, Paul says, because I'm appealing to you as Paul, the guy you know, but I'm also appealing to you not just as an old man, as we see, but in the original language, this word literally means ambassador. I'm appealing to you as Christ appeals. I'm representing Christ's way. That is, it's not just about you doing right things that I'm after. I'm after your heart. I want to change the way your, your very core functions. And so as an ambassador for Christ and one who remains bound to him, I'm going to do it his best way and I'm appealing to you rather than giving you a simple directive. Because it's more important to me than just the outcome. I want the income. I want your heart to celebrate this. I want this to be a space of joy. And so as we think, what do we do with this sort of stuff? I just wanted us to have a little bit of a think, and you might have a discussion over morning tea, about how do we, as God's people in Koinonia, encourage one another to do right things, to think right things, and have right actions? And there's maybe three words that might be helpful on the screen. They are compel, command, and coach. Now, 
something and compel, that probably pushes on you a little bit. You might say, I don't think that belongs in the Christian church. Well, you'd be mistaken. Of course it belongs in the Christian church. But there's a narrow window of where it does belong. To compel is where control is taken away and no, you must do this. We do this, don't we? There are ministries you are not permitted to do in this church without having completed your safe ministry. We will compel you. It's unsafe to do things any other way. Uh, let me offer some suggestions because I don't want us to walk away going, right, I'm going to start compelling people to do stuff. I think there's a lot more to be said about this than I could possibly do. It's a message on its own. But can I offer a couple of suggestions that you might discuss later? When it comes to compulsion, this should be first an act of submission. What I mean by this is, do you have the authority to be compelling? It's not have you taken the authority, but has someone given you the authority? And therefore you know who you're accountable to and who you are serving and who you are being submissive to. When a policeman gives me a ticket, even after my best story of why he shouldn't, his act of submission is to compel me to pay a fine because he's acting according to the authority and the accountability given to him. So first it should be an act of submission. Have you been given, not taken, have you been given the authority to compel? I think a very healthy way forward is that compulsion is never an independent activity. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that there's a church that is to say to a brother, you can't church with us, then compel him that he can't be in their fellowship. It's a they are going to compel him. It's something that they will discern together as we've been learning in Philemon. It's not just a one person, I don't like this, so it stops. The language of compulsion and the act of compulsion should be somewhere around an act of protection rather than an act of enforcing a view. What are you protecting? What is at stake? Now you might say, why are you going into this stuff? Is this really an issue? Friends, I've got to tell you, every church I've been in, I've seen unhealthy acts to compel activity. I'll show you what it sounds like. Hey, look, I know you want to do this, but people are saying... This is a little bit of fear-mongering or sometimes name-dropping in order to try and make someone say or do the thing that you think they should say or do. When that happens, you make me feel. I can't make you feel. You choose your feelings. You're responsible for them. But feelings are important to all of us. And I love you and I care about your feelings. I just can't control them. But sometimes we will use our feelings as a powerful tool to try and compel someone to say, do or act in a given way. So we've got to be careful with that with one another. When we're thinking about compelling, let's make sure that it serves beyond us and doesn't serve us. I don't compel for my benefit. I've got to compel for something beyond me. Now, I'm sure there's much more to say about that, and I, I offer that to you as a, as a conversation piece, but to say we never compel would be fictitious and sub-biblical. Sometimes there's a space for command, as Paul has said. And the wonderful thing about a command is if you want to write action, you command. That's what I want. 
What you've got to understand about commanding and where it's different to compelling, just because you commanded, you don't also get to control the obedience. And there's lots of parts in Scripture where there might be a leader commanding, there might be another party who's called to obey, but that's God saying to you, you obey. It's not saying to this person, now make them obey. That's compelling or something worse. So with a command, even with a command, there's a little bit of koinonia going on where we've both got to play our part under Jesus where I think Jesus wants this and so I'm commanding this. Timothy will say in Ephesus, you can't teach as you are not yet competent or your character is not yet established. Under Jesus, I accept that and wonder if you might help me get there. Right, that's Jesus at the middle, koinonia with a command and an obedience. But here's the beautiful thing that Paul is doing in Philemon. He's not compelling, doesn't even mention it. He can command and he's comfortable about doing that, but he loves Philemon as an ambassador for Christ and so he's coaching. The beautiful thing in the coaching space is there's reminding. Remember, not like that, like that. Now, if you're a tennis player, I don't know the first thing. It's just, I don't know, do it like that. Reminding you the right way. There's modeling, so he models. There's feedback. Hey, did you see when you dropped your head like that? Let's just keep it up a little bit and you won't hit the top of the golf ball. And it will... I've heard that one. There's feedback. There's pointing to success and what a good model might look like. There's suggestion. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that might frustrate some of us as we live in koinonia with one another. There's acceptance that someone might say no. Acceptance that someone might have a different view. And acceptance that you might just have to wait. You say, wait, a different view, but they're wrong. But you don't own them. Suggest, coach, give feedback, point to the scriptures, point to Jesus. And wait and pray. Maybe God will do something. Maybe God will change their heart. Maybe God will change yours. Maybe both of you will discover all the great things we have in Christ as you take the scenic long route. Because it's not just about what we do, it's about the heart that is changed. And so the thing we learn here is that participation for the encouragement and the challenge is the pathway to progress. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us to one another. Let us say, in the best, healthiest way, we truly are God's gift to one another. And we're God's gift to one another best when we point one another to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not shortcut relationships, that we wouldn't simply go straight to one another, but help us to be in orbit of Christ that as we bind ourselves closer to him, we will, he will bind us closer to one another. Father God, we pray for patience among one another. We pray for encouragement among one another. Lord, we pray that Jesus is glorified among us. We pray that as we seek after him, that our community, our socializing, our partnership may truly be Christ-shaped koinonia that we might love him, love one another, and discover every good thing that is in Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen. I just love that visual.
with those chains and the drawing in when your focus is in the right spot had me in tears in the back how beautiful um i'm obviously a really emotional person but um that just really gets me really gets me right in the center of me um why don't we stand together i'm gonna be emotional probably but why don't we stand together as we worship
Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. As uh, Ali's in prayer from um, Paul's letter to Philemon. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for the reminder today from your word that participation is the pathway to progress. Thank you that we might never be burdened by a desire for perfection in this life because the, the Lord Jesus was the one who was perfect. So we pray, Father, that we would keep our eyes on him. And we pray, Father, that we would keep one another's eyes on him. And we pray, Father, that as we keep our eyes on him and one another's eyes on him, we would draw closer to him and to one another, such that we would be able to pray with Paul, that we always thank our God as we remember one another in our prayers, because we will hear about our great love for one another, for our faith in the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that in your kindness, the partnership that we share in faith will be effective in deepening our understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, great to be with you guys. God bless you and keep you. Uh, we've got some opportunity now to have morning tea together and enjoy one another. And otherwise, see you next week. God bless.